Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we may not love living our lives by teleconference, but after a year or more of it, we've kind of gotten used to it. We hold meetings virtually. We've gotten used to presenting virtually as well. We're presenting to a team that's maybe far-flung, but we're all like faces on the screen, so we know how that goes. But what happens now? We're getting back to the office, and we may be presenting, but presenting to a team that's hybrid, partly in the room, partly somewhere else. Do the same rules apply? What about in-person presentations and interactions? Do we even remember how to do those? You know, with things getting back to normal, I thought there's a lot of things we need to talk about when it comes to communicating. And I wanted to get back somebody who helped us get used to teleconferencing a year ago. That's Nick Daly. Nick is the president of Intentional Communications, and he works with all kinds of communicators, broadcast professionals and all kinds of other people who work in the corporate world. I met him in my TV days. He coached me. And last year when the pandemic was starting, he was on this podcast and we talked about you know the new ways we'd have to learn about communicating since we weren't going to be in the same room together for a while, any of us. And now we're in a different stretch of this pandemic, the home stretch. I thought it was the perfect time to talk about whatever the new rules are. So Nick, as always, has some great insights, some really good practical suggestions. Please stay with us and you can hear those too. So how do you present and communicate now that we're in this hybrid world of work? Well, our guest today is Nick Daly. Nick's president of Intentional Communications, and he's an expert at helping people get their message across in all kinds of settings. He has some thoughts on this one. He shares them with us now. Hi, Nick. Hi, Linda. Well, good to speak with you. You were in uh, North Carolina, correct? I am indeed. You have been there for the last however long. Before that, you used to travel quite a bit, uh, hopefully starting up again. But tell us a little bit about your background and you know what you've been doing through your career to help people communicate. Well, I started, and Linda, you might know this, you might not know it, but I'm in my education was in theater. Um, so I have a master of fine arts degree in acting and playwriting. The time came when I thought I've either got to go all in to be an actor or not. And I pretty much decided it's sort of like trying to be in the NBA. Uh, you, you, you might, through no fault of your own, never get a job or not get as many jobs as you wish you did. So I opted for uh, a little other path in life. So for 30 years, I've been helping people to get a message across well and interestingly and honestly and genuinely and engagingly. Um, the, it's been a very interesting 30 years because it's not easy to do. Um, it takes technique and it takes practice, and, but I still can't get enough of it. And you worked with me when I was doing television years ago. You work with people in broadcast still and also people in the corporate world, correct? That's true. Yes, I do. And uh, attorneys and others who just, uh, whoever it is that has to get a message across and for whom the stakes are pretty high. 
Okay, so we should say you've been on this podcast before. You were in episode eight, I believe. That was the beginning of the pandemic. And we talked then about how do you communicate when you're communicating really from your home, your home studio, and trying to reach your audience. Now we're kind of in a different place. This is episode, I think it's going to be 43 or 44. Good uh, for you. Yeah. yeah Fantastic. Good for all of us, we've made it through this. <laughs> and you know, people are going back to work. They're not necessarily working from a little corner, but you know, there may be talking to an audience that's partly at home and partly in the room. Nick, what do we have to think about now that we're going back to that? Well, you do have to think, and and I think I want to draw a big line under think, because it's very easy when going for one or the other audiences to give the other one short shrift. That is to sort of forget about one while paying more attention to the other one. And there are some some ways, some easy, easily doable ways to keep both audiences neck and neck. Well, let's talk about them. So suppose you're in a conference room, you've gone back to the workplace, you have some people there, but you know this is a big presentation. There's people tuning in from other places. What do you need to think about? The primary thing to think about or I'll say a very important thing to think about is to make certain everybody feels invited in the same way to ask questions and to get answers to the questions that come up. The way to do that is to repeat or rephrase every question that comes in, whether it's from a live member or whether it's from somebody far away that's a, a, a virtual audience member. And actually, there are a lot of benefits to doing a repeat rephrase of a question. The primary one for these purposes is simply to make sure everybody heard it and so to feel included. There are some other benefits too. For example, to take a question and let's say it might be a hostile question, take the question and repeat it in a way that is neutral. You can't change the quality of the question. You can't change the subject of the question, but you can neutralize a question so that it's one that you can answer. So if a question comes in, first of all, let's keep in mind that I have to make sure to do this for each and every question, or it will sound like a technique and you don't want that, but you do want to make sure everybody heard it. So a question comes in that is vaguely hostile or maybe not even so vaguely. A question like this, Nick, you're suggesting that our company do a project that we tried five years ago. Now, when we tried it, then it was a dismal failure and cost a lot of money. You want us to walk into that trap again? Okay, so my rephrase is something like this. I want to avoid trap. I want to avoid failure. Um, But because it is coming up again, somebody thinks it's a good idea. The rephrase might sound like this. So what's changed now from when this project was tried five years ago? So it's, a, it's still a question, but it's a rephrased one that now I have access to and that we don't have to accept all of the, all of the drama all of the emotion around. But again, the most important thing is that I will have gotten it repeated or rephrased so everyone might have heard it. How do you engage the people in the room and the people outside the room? I know you can repeat the question, but I think sometimes if you are not in the room, there's a feeling maybe for management that you're not as engaged. 
how do you make make it clear that everybody's part of this group? I think you have to pay attention to them. And let me just suggest that, okay, the technology involved with either standing up and giving a talk, and let's call it technology, the physical skills, or the technology involved with making a good televisual presentation, both of those in and of themselves are a little complicated. So suddenly you're having to do both things at once. I think it's not a bad idea if you're doing um, a, a, a video presentation as well as a physical one to ask for someone's help. Now in television, we call that a producer. And um, maybe for the speaker, uh, who has these two different audiences, maybe that person is just an assistant. But the reason I'm suggesting that might be a good idea as a helper is because you, 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 you may suffer from having too many different types of techniques happening at once for yourself. And a person can help you. Here's the way they can help you. They might switch your camera from camera A to camera B and by the way, if that sounds complicated, believe me, it's absolutely not. I've got a, a, a secondary camera that I picked up at, oh, I don't know, I think Best Buy. And at some point, just for interest's sake, but for other reasons too, I can change between the camera I've got going and a new camera, a different one. So that, uh, let's say... I want to appear to be a little more oh, um, intimate in a question. I'm, I'm really going to tell this. I'm really going to give you this answer in a way that's heartfelt, et cetera, et cetera. There's some subtle cues that will accrue from having changed cameras. But there's another good reason for changing cameras, and it's this. Let's say you. Uh, let us let, say you are wanting the virtual audience to see the faces of the real live audience. There's nothing wrong with that and it can help. So what I recommend is that the assistant, or if you don't have an assistant, you um, pick that little camera up and switch to it and show people what those live audience members look like. It brings up another thing. You guys want to ask your opinion on this. Do you require everyone to have their cameras on? Because I go to a lot of meetings and people have them off. It's good if you, okay. So should you ask everyone to have their cameras on? Yes. If I'm going to, if I'm going to sell this point about repeating and rephrasing, I might as well, I might as well model it. So are you going to ask everybody to put their cameras on? I think it's a great idea. For a number of reasons, the most important of which is you want to do whatever you can to put everybody on the same playing field. And, and people are taking that seriously, even to the point that I've been uh, informed of some audiences where the um, uh, speaker or the um, organization has asked the live audience to also tune in, to also go for the video connection so that they'll also have the video connection even though they're sitting there. Uh, that is, they can see that grid work that we're all familiar with and see all the faces of the people who are also there virtually and 
the virtual people can see them as well. So it, whether or not you want to go to that extreme, and it is a little bit extreme, it could be argued, it's one more thing that is can potentially put everybody on the same playing field. And that's the important thing in having two separate audiences, making them feel as though they are um, playing the same game and that, that they're co-equal. Now, another way to do that is to use lots of first names. We know first names of the people in that grid because they show up. Yes. Uh, I, I, I suppose you could scrub them if you wanted to, but so often they show up. So use first names to talk to those individuals who are virtual and use the first names of the people who are uh, in, the, in the here and now audience, in the living, breathing audience. If, if you want, and it, this is also important, you can set things up in advance. As the meeting begins, you've got to set the tone and to tell everybody what you're going to be doing. In that little, uh, let's just say, briefing, here's, how we're, here's what we're going to do today. We're operating with two audiences. You just tell everybody what's going on. In that little briefing, you can say, by the way, I want you to be really uh, linked into this. I don't mean linked in the product, but I mean just I really want you to be linked into this today. So if you have any objection to me calling you by name, let me know. I'm going to assume that you won't. Nobody will. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Uh, please don't call me by name. No, yeah. nobody will. So you can use people's names to get them uh, engaged and use that engagement if you've got it. And you do. Okay, let's talk about just the technical parts of this. You mentioned having a producer or helper, but a lot of companies now are thinking, how do we set up for this hybrid world? What do you suggest? Like a big room, light, no lights? So should lights be used? Should technology be used? I think to the extent that it's possible to do, lights should be included. Why? Because it just keeps things from looking flat. It just keeps things looking really authentic and three-dimensional. Oh, and by the way, you hear that all the time. It looks flat. Let's think about that just for a minute. What does flat mean? Uh, flat means everything is the same color value. So if the light is universally dim and there are no shadows, uh, there's no light to cast shadows, I can't see that things really are in three dimensions. As a result, everything looks as though it's on the same plane. And so that's where, that's why people say it looks flat and it does. So lights, yes. A good camera, absolutely yes. Why? Because again, remember, we want people on the same playing field. And to the extent it's possible, I want for the uh, virtual audience to see me uh, as absolutely as well as the people who are sitting there or as close as possible to that. I just changed the uh, tack here a little bit. We're actually going back to working with people. We haven't, for a lot of us, really been interacting that way for over a year. Are there things we need to think about in, in terms of, you know, just the the day-to-day, -day, the conversation, or are we all going to go back to where we were? No problem. I think we are not going to go 
back to the way we were. And I guess uh, draw a line under think because nobody really knows. I believe that we're all going to continue to have been affected by the way communication has changed. Uh, how will it affect us remains to be seen. But I, I prefer to think of it in terms of a positive versus a negative. We've got a lot more tools now that we've gotten pretty darn good at. And I, I just want to make the point that as you're listening to some of these ideas or wherever you get your ideas, take them seriously because people will be, you know, people are judged on the thinnest of pretexts and people will be judged in their capacity and their ability to communicate versus other people who are able to, to communicate better. So, Practice the skills that you've heard talked about here today and that you will hear talked about in other places, ones that make sense to you, and get well-practiced at it so that you can really um, compete in, 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 um, in, in a way that stands behind your communication skill. Are there people you look at and say, look, this person is doing it really well? You know what there are? And let me bring up one person, and I think this person has kind of a international reach, especially between the U.S. and Canada. He has a, a Sunday morning program, so Sunday morning program, television preacher. And some people like this individual, some people don't like anything else. People have lots of different opinions. But it, it, the person I'm talking about is Joel Osteen. Okay. I want you to... Just pay attention if, if, if you can tune in uh, some Sunday and just watch the way he conducts his televisual business. Now, this gentleman, Joel Osteen, uh, is originally a photographer, a videographer. And so his background is in videography long before he took the reins of uh, his father's church. But so now he has this mega church. The every single Sunday he has a live audience, big live audience, and also a huge, I suppose, televisual audience. And he manages the two really beautifully together. One of the things he does is as he is speaking and bumps up against a thing that there should be a reaction of some kind, the shot goes to the audience. And we see the reactions on people's faces. And that's done for a purpose. It's done as a way to say, uh, here's my live audience. Here's how they're reacting. Televisual audience, maybe you can sense that and react in, a, in the same way or a similar way. But it's not just that. There are many, many things that, um, that he does as an expert communicator that uh, all of us would be good to take a page out of his book. For example, if you ever have heard Joel Osteen speak, and I checked, it, it was the same. The same was true of Billy Graham as well. They just never say "uh." They never say "uh" or "um." And anyone who's a speaker or a presenter could <laughs> really benefit from that, definitely. Because to say "uh" or "um" or any of those other non-words is sort of like waving a flag that says, excuse me, but I've forgotten what comes <laughs> next. And there's no real reason to do that. So 
that's one example. And I know there are lots of other examples. ABC, CBS, NBC nighttime shows is another one. Uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show, the Jimmy Fallon show, the, I'm forgetting one, uh, Conan O'Brien. Mm -hmm. They have a live audience and they also have a televisual audience. Check them out and see how they do it. Because I guarantee you, anybody who sees an image on a screen, your image on a screen, as you're working to communicate well, they compare you to everybody else they ever see on a screen, even if it's ABC, CBS, NBC, CBC, Global. So check them out. And literally, you can get to the point where you are a good competitor with those household name networks that I just mentioned. It's less glamorous, but teachers have also had to learn how to communicate in a new way. Sometimes kids in the classroom, kids at home, can we learn anything from education, educa educators? You can. Uh, I believe that you can. And the thing that you can learn the most is, I think, is there's always a lesson plan. And the teacher not only wants to impart the information, if they're a good teacher, they also want to provide an experience. If you think about pure information, maybe pure information is, go with me on this, maybe pure information is something like a government pamphlet. It's nothing but information, right? Mm -hmm. But dull, hard to get through, not very interesting at all, not much fun. Now, let's think about a pure experience. A pure experience is fun. It is lively. It is engaging. Uh, but it's easy to offer a pure experience that's somewhat devoid of information. Let's say a good teacher combines those two, combines pure information with pure experience, and where those two cross, think of a Venn diagram, where those two cross is what the student will remember and take out of the room with them. Interesting, um, engaging, uh, yes, informational, but I have access to that information. I can hold on to it. I can keep it. I can use it as the teacher suggests that it ought to be used. So don't let it become either one or the other. But look for the marriage of those two, information and what we can call an experience. Interesting. Uh, let's say, well, for a lot of people, this is a reboot. They're going back to work now. This weird period is over. They're starting something different. What are the tips you'd give them about communicating? Because I believe that if you're going to boost your career, you have to be a good communicator. It's one of the most important things. If somebody's trying to say, I'm making a new start and I want this to go well, what are the things they have to keep in mind? Prepare and volunteer. It's almost always possible to, to get out from under a presentation opportunity. Almost always possible to do. Sometimes it's not, but Many presentation opportunities are possible to avoid. Do not avoid them. Volunteer for them. Look for ones to do. And be prepared once the person senior to you says, yeah, go for it. I think the, I, 
I, I don't want to lump you up with lots of things to remember. I just want you to remember those two things. Prepare, be ready, and volunteer. Okay. Let's be ready for whatever comes next. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people get in touch with you? Well, uh, please look at my website, if you like, at presentwithintent.com. And if you also want to, you can call me up, 512-923-7370. And my website, uh, sorry, my uh, email address, mdally6 at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Nick. Nick Daly is president of Intentional Communications. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Nick and his work, please check out our show notes. You'll find a bio there as well as a link to his Intentional Communications website. You can also contact Nick by email at ndally6 at gmail.com. That's N-D-A-L-L-E-Y 6 at gmail.com. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. And if you did enjoy this discussion, please take a moment, leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll really help people to find us and help us continue these discussions around the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>